man, it is, it is a joy to come and be a part of this every Wednesday night. And uh, normally, normally Wednesday to Wednesday, we've got to wait six days to come back into this room um, to spend time uh, worshiping together and opening God's word together. But today, however, we are just two days away from Movement Weekend. Guys, two days, that's it. Two days away from staying up pretty much all night at uh, going to a host home where you will prayerfully not trash the place because some of the sweetest people for some reason decided to open their doors to teenagers. Um, Two days away from what I'm hoping is an opportunity for us to have fun, to grow in community together, but most importantly, to connect to a holy God and understand his purpose and plan for our lives. And so I don't know if you're going, there's probably some of you in the room that are like, oh man, I didn't get a chance to sign up. There's some of you who are like, what are we even talking about? This is my first day. Um, But this weekend, we are excited for God to move in an event that we call Movement Weekend, where we spend a couple of days uh, spending time together, having fun, but connecting to a holy God. So it's happening two days away, and I am so excited. Listen, I don't know if you know this, but the people who, are, uh, who serve you and lead you, the adult leaders, the student team, the staff, they are incredible people who have sacrificed their weekend to spend time with you. Do you know that? I just want you to look around, find an adult, point to them and say, you're incredible. Just find an adult that's around, and you just need to tell them you're, you're amazing. Because it's important, and it's true. They are actually amazing people. Um, so tonight, in preparation for the weekend, um, I thought it would be fitting to, to kind of gather into God's word uh, in a specific area. So if you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be spending the majority of our time tonight. Um, but before we dive into that, um, I do need to, uh, to share with you, Valentine's Day was, uh, was last week. But I will say um, there, there have been moments in my life where I have uh, been considered to be a romantic, which is to say that uh, like the, the big um, extravagant thing, anybody just a great gift giver? Raise your hand if you're a great gift giver. Okay, raise your hand if you are terrible, terrible at giving gifts. Like it's just like here's a stick, I like you, like whatever. Like, yeah, okay. So I teeter between the two, but when, but when I get really motivated, I'm a great gift giver. So my, my plan uh, to propose to my wife was one that I was going to have to be very careful with because um, I married probably the smartest person I've ever met. She's incredibly observant. And so to surprise her would have been, it, it was an incredible challenge. Um, and so maybe you've done something before where you surprised somebody, but, but it kind of takes a lot out of you, right? There's a lot of planning prep, all of these things. So when I knew she was going to marry me, that was a weird way to say it. When I knew I wanted to ask her to marry me, um, I was like, man, we've got to do something big. It's got to surprise her. You've seen all the proposal videos, right? You see a bunch of them. Sometimes, have you seen the ones where they don't do it? Uh, They say no. Is that not the most brutal, heartbreaking thing you've ever seen? So I was kind of nervous about that. Um, But my wife loves animals, she wants to live on a farm. She wants to own a bunch of animals, whatever. So, so I was like, man, I, I got to do something with animals. Like I didn't want to like 
be in a zoo, like locked up with a gorilla with like a sign, will you marry me? And then obviously get mauled by the gorilla or whatever. So like, where is there a place that we could safely engage with animals and, and do that? Well, horseback riding. Has anyone ever been horseback riding before? Okay. So I grew up in Miami. I'm a city boy. I, I do not, uh, we, don't, we don't do that kind of stuff. Horses are not like a thing. So like, well, they're a thing, but I didn't know what they were. So we, we just, I was like, you know what, fine, let's give it a shot. We'll go horseback riding. So I came to a place in Tampa, and I was going to scope it out. My plan was I would, I would we'd be on horseback, we'd be riding around, you know, uh, frolicking or whatever, whatever horses do. And, um, and so we'd go around, and then, like, at one moment, I would just, like, stand on my horse while it was sprinting around her. I would hold up the ring, and I'd be like, girl, did Jesus turn you into water or fine? I forget what, I forget what the, the pickup line was. I, I didn't use that because I didn't have it at the time. But I, that was my plan. It was going to be awesome. But I needed to scope the place out first. So I get there, and they didn't know I was coming. So I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to propose to my girlfriend tomorrow. Uh, I've already got reservations, but I needed to kind of scope out where I was going to do it. So they're like, okay, yeah, we weren't prepped for you, but we got a family that's going to go out horseback riding, so you just kind of stand over here. So they put me and stood me by the stable with all the horses. So I was, I was like, all right, that's fine, no big deal. I, it smelled like, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm just not like an animal person, so whatever. Um, there's just one horse that's kind of like front, front area in his own little like uh, stable thing, right? It's just stable, right? It's in a stable thing, and he's like, he's like the horse that has seen, like, he's been a prison kind of horse. Like, there's, like, scars on him. He's kind of, like, mangy looking. He's got, like, a, like a, a nozzle or whatever the head thing is. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he's just, like, and so he's just, like, kind of side-eyeing me, and I don't know. There's, like, a bunch of other horses. They're doing great. Well, this family comes in, and they start, like, removing all the horses for this family, and I'm like, oh, jeez. Like, I'm not touching this horse. The horse literally, like, every four seconds would just be like this. He'd be like. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that was, like, a threat to me because I was the closest one to him. But he just kept on, like, like smacking the ground with his, with his claws or whatever. And so, like, I'm like, whatever. We'll figure this out. Um, and so the guy comes up to me. All the horses are gone except for this guy, horse, that has done prison time. And so the guy's like, hey, I want you to meet Cotton. I'm like, <laughs> this, this really intimidating horse is named Cotton. He's like, this is a horse you're going to be riding out into the meadow or whatever it was. And I was like, all right, that's fine. So I get on this horse. I'm a large guy. Like, I feel bad for the horse. We've been making side eyes. He's obviously made threats against my life and my family. And now I'm about to, like, weigh him down, and he's going to carry me around. So um, I was kind of nervous. But me and Cotton, we started bonding. I put my feet in the in the uh, syrups or whatever, and then I'm like sitting on a saddle. We're frolicking in the meadows to go to this place. There's this river. I see a river coming up. And I'm like, well, obviously Cotton has to go around the river or whatever. And the guy's like, no, no, no. We're just going to power through this river. I'm like, bro, listen, like I got my phone in my pocket. Like this horse obviously hates me. So like we're, we, we don't need to do this. He's like, no, it's fine. His horse was awesome. His horse was like the hero horse, like in the movies, like frolicking into the river and like the splashes and the tail and even like did the, the neigh thing. It was awesome. He got across the river. <laughs> so it's my turn, me and Cotton. I'm like, Cotton, come on, man. We got this. And so you got to like smack him with your foot. So I'm like, all right, Cotton, here we go. So he starts walking into the river. And it's kind of like, like my shoes are getting wet. So I had to like put my things up and so whatever. So 
We start going in. We get to the middle of the river. And cotton lays down. <laughs> the water is coming up. to Like, it's, it's right here. And so, like, obviously now I know he is trying to kill me. So my phone's in my pocket. It's done. Like, it's, it's completely submerged. And so all you can probably see is, like, the top of my shoulders and then, like, Cotton's head right here. And I'm like, dude, Cotton, come on, man. Like, come on, man. Just stand up. Like, please. Like, and he did not care at all. So the, the horse guy had to, like, come out and, like, or, like, whatever you do to horses, like, to get them to move. And then the horse finally, Cotton finally got up. I'm soaking wet. I'm so ticked. Like, the whole time. Like, I'm like, I don't even want to propose anymore. Uh, I did, and it worked out. But, like, it was just the most frustrating thing in the entire world. All of a sudden, the moment something gets weird or sideways, he just lays down and nothing happens. And, of course, uh, I'm, I'm a pastor, so I start to think about all the different things that, that, that goes through my mind when things like this happen. And um, the moment I continue to get frustrated, the moment I started realizing, man, you know what's interesting is that so often in life, all of us are kind of in this same boat. We get to a place where we start to move forward in some areas of our lives, and then we, we kind of end up at a place where we kind of have to make a decision. Are we working through it? Are we, are we just going to kind of like barrel through it? Or, or are we just going to find ourselves in a spot where we're just done, we lay down, we leave it alone? And I feel like a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves in places where we probably are more prone to lay down than we are to kind of barrel through something. And so here in Matthew chapter 5, we actually see um, that this is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is Jesus Christ as he's beginning his earthly ministry on earth. He says, um, he, he's, you know, he's grown up, he's about to start his public ministry, ministering to people. And here we have on this giant mountainside, all these people have gathered in and Jesus starts to deliver this message. The sermon, if you will. And the beautiful thing about this sermon is that what he's doing is he's, he's kind of accomplishing a couple of things. Number one, he's, he's kind of labeling what it looks like to be a part of the new kingdom that he is going to bring. To be a, a Christian, essentially. He's also kind of helping us understand some very practical things that we need to learn in our everyday life. Um, even outside of that, the gospel is shared very clearly here. But here in chapter 5, verse 13 he, he gives us these pictures of things um, that I think is probably helpful for us to maybe unpack a little bit. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It says, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. He kind of brings in this weird analogy that we are like salt. Now, if you've ever had just an incredible meal and you're like, man, this meal is so good, it's so flavorful, um, you probably know what salt is. There's probably some of us that have had meals before where you're like, oh, wow, that has zero flavor. Anybody ever had 
Like, maybe, maybe it's at your house, and it's not an indictment on your mom's cooking. I'm just saying, like, maybe that's just what you grew up with. I have a buddy who would boil chicken and not even put anything on it and just eat boiled chicken by itself. I obviously don't talk to him anymore. Salt's important, though. You need salt. Salt adds flavor. So what's interesting about this passage is he kind of makes this, this statement where he says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? If it is salt, it will be salty. Yes? If it is salt, it will have flavor. That is what salt is. That is what salt does. Also, back in those days, it wasn't just something that added flavor. It was actually kind of used as a currency. Salt was very valuable. So people would actually pay for services in salt. So there was a value to salt that was very different than maybe how we see it today. So it added flavor. It had significant value. And then another aspect of salt was that it would preserve things. So you ever thought about the fact that they didn't have, like, refrigerators back then? So what they would do to preserve the meat is they would just cover it in salt and it would protect it from rotting or going bad. And so there was a preservative factor that also existed in the salt. I think Jesus uses this analogy intentionally because what he is actually saying to us is if you are salt, you should be salty. If you are Christians, you should be living in obedience. And pursuing righteousness. Salt is salty. Christians live in obedience. Let's keep going. If you don't, if you don't believe me, we'll, we'll keep reading through. And you'll see he adds another, another description. Verse 14. You're the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. So he says another analogy is you are like a light. He says nobody is going to light a light and then put a basket over it. Does anybody know that song? Grow up in children's church? Hide it under a bushel. You don't know the song? No, that's all you say. You say no, I'm going to let it shine. I sing with my kids all the time. So, whoa, all right. Hide it, oh, is that the light thing because of the bushel? Nice. All right. So, so if a light is designed to light a room and to pierce through the darkness, why would you light it and then cover it up? Think, think of what we just talked about. Salt is salty. Lights invade darkness. That's what they're designed to do. This would have also been kind of radical because Jesus was talking to a crowd of people that would have included like, uh, rabbis, they would have included like Pharisees, kind of some of the religious leaders of the day. And there was actually a term that was used for the religious leaders for kind of the more famous ones. Um, they would call them lamps of the universe. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Anybody want that nickname? Be like, oh, hello, this is the lamp of the universe. So here's what's crazy is that the people that Jesus was talking to were not people that were famous that were popular. I mean, you're talking the disciples are sitting there. Disciples are like gross people. Fishermen, tax collectors, some of the most like looked down upon people in society. And Jesus is saying, you guys are the light of the world. Essentially taking that label from those who claim to be religious leaders and instead putting it on to these people who in some ways had nothing to do with it. You're a light of the world. 
A light should never be hidden. You don't light something and then cover it up, is what the Bible says. In the same way, as believers, for Christians in the room, if we, if we call ourselves Christians and we claim to be Christians, but don't have any desire to pursue righteousness or to pursue obedience to God's word, then, then what we're doing is we're saying we're a light, but we're covering it up. And going back to the salt, if we're, if we're Christians and we have no desire to pursue obedience or to pursue righteousness, then what we have done is made ourselves completely useless. The Bible even says right before that, he says, you're no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's pretty strong language. Sometimes when we get to talking about this, somebody will throw a word out that I think, that I think we just have to maybe address a little bit. They would say, hey, listen, I get it. You're telling me Christians probably need to live a Christian life, but you got to be careful because that could sound legalistic. Anyone ever heard that before? Legalism? What legalism is, is it is, a, it is a, a mode in which you try to do good things to be in right standing with God. That's legalism. That's what all the Pharisees were doing. They were living a, a religious, a, a good life so that they would be seen by others as influential. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, hey, I need you to, to live a life that's, that's legalistic. He's saying, I need you to live a life that is obedient and it is in line with the character that you claim to have as a Christian. Sometimes we say, hey, if, if you start asking me to do something that, that I don't really feel comfortable doing, you're, you're trying to be legalistic. You're trying to put me in a box and say that I have to live by your rules. If we're not careful, what we could end up doing is we sacrifice obedience on the altar of legalism. So we say, you know what, I don't think I have to be obedient to God's word because it can kind of come off as a little legalistic. And what this passage is telling us is as a believer, as a Christian, we are to live in that obedience and live in that righteousness or we're actually not really doing anything. We're a light that's covered up. We're salt that's not salty. So let's keep going. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Whoa, hold on. Now it's saying that we have to let this light shine out so that other people can see us. Has anyone ever done the right thing because if you want somebody to notice you? Has anybody ever done that before? Just me? A few of us? And I can't see how many times you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm really glad to help you, lady. Did you guys see that? Like, can you guys praise me just a little bit, clap for me or something? Like, man, that's, that's the motive sometimes. I need to do the right thing because people need to notice me. But here's the distinction that he makes at the very end of this passage. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Take a look at it. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God gets all the glory when Christians live in obedience and in righteousness. If Christians are living in obedience and righteousness to gain glory for themselves, then they're not doing it the way that God has set it up. That's legalism. But instead, what God says is, if you're a Christian, live in obedience, live in righteousness. That's what the Bible says. So what does this mean for us? What would, what, what would you say maybe is something, some, some marks that you could say, hey, uh, give, give me some practical things. What does this even look like? 
I'm going to give you three things to consider that I would argue is probably more the marks of a Christian than someone who is probably not saved. All right? Here's, here's the first one. The first one is this. Do you as a person, do you pursue humility over stability? Now, stability doesn't sound like a bad thing. But how many times have you tried to put on a show to make people think that you're doing all right when you're not? When you feel like you can't actually be yourself, when, when you're actually struggling with something, but the thought about bringing it to someone to ask for help in something, it's just, no, 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 they're going to think I'm, I'm, I'm weird, they're going to think I'm crazy, they're going to think I'm struggling. And the reality is, is that all we want to do is live in our own pride. True Christians are those that would say, you know what, I'm, I'm broken, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, and I need other people in my life, namely the church. This is why the church exists. I need other people in my life to come alongside me that I can say, hey, you know what, I am hurting. Hey, I am broken. Every time we come in here on a Wednesday night and we spend time opening God's word and we spend time singing, there is an opportunity for us to go to the back and just pray with a leader. I don't know how many of you have taken advantage of that, but just to say, hey, listen, I'm struggling, I'm hurting. Do you know you don't even have to tell them what it is? I promise. You could just go back there and say, hey, would you just pray for me? I'm going through a lot right now. And any one of those adults would just spend time right there, right then and there praying for you. Because every one of us are struggling. We're broken. We're hurting. There's a story in the Bible in Luke chapter 15 about a, the story of the prodigal son. The story goes like this. Uh, there, was, there were two sons that a man had, a very wealthy man. Uh, one was a younger son, one was an older son. The younger son said, hey, give me my share of the inheritance. I'm going to go do whatever I want. The father said, you know what, go ahead, do what you want, whatever. So he goes, spends it all, ends up find, finding himself completely at the lowest point, eating next to pigs. Realizes in himself, hey, you know what, I need to go back to my father. He actually prepares a speech and says, I need to run into my father. And I'd be like, listen, just make me a servant. Don't bring me in as your son because of all these things that I've done wrong. And then he runs back, he's like walking back, and then there's this picture of this father just sprinting towards him to meet him, to say, son, you're good. You're fine. Let's get after it. We're going we're gonna to kill the fat cow. We're going to throw a party because my son has returned. You know what's crazy about that story? I'm going to show you this, Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can just listen in. Here's what the Bible says at the end of this story. So we, we got a big party happening. Uh, the, the father's in there. Here's what the Bible says in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard the music. He heard the dancing. He saw the party was going on. He called one of the servants, and he asked, hey, what, what is, what's going on? He said to them, oh, your brother's come. Your father's killed the fat cow because he's received him back safe and sound. You know what the brother's response was, the older brother? He was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out. And, and actually came to address him and said, hey, come, come in here. Let's just celebrate. And he goes, uh, he answered the father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Then all of a sudden this son of yours comes home who's devoured your property and, and you killed the fattened calf for him. He said, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. You know, what the, you know what the older brother was doing? He was living a life for himself. He wasn't living in obedience and righteousness because, he was, because that's what he wanted to do. He was living in obedience and righteousness to receive something else. 
And so when something happened that was great, he lived in his own pride with zero humility. He showed stability, but his heart was, was wicked. Man, we fall into that category probably more often than we realize. Because we don't want to lean into humility. We want to show everybody that we're stable. We're living in stability. Don't ask me questions. I'm not struggling. I'm doing just fine. The mark of a Christian is somebody who would lean more into humility than into stability. Here's the second thing. Mark of a Christian is somebody who would value character over influence. So many influencers, people that, that have our ear, that we spend time engaging with. There's opportunity for us to try and gather that influence for ourselves. But instead, what God has called each and every one of us to do is to look inside ourselves, to, to, to line up with God's word, live in obedience, and have good character. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You ever heard that, that, um, that verse that says, let no one despise you for your youth? But set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, and faith, and purity. Have you ever heard that before? This is something that, that we would say to young people. Listen, just because you're young doesn't mean you can't do things for the Lord. Well, the passage before that, I want to read this to you because I think this is really helpful. Here's what the Bible says. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. This is, this is really important. Have nothing to do with irreverent or silly talk. Rather, train yourself for godliness. This idea of train is this moving forward, this kind of grit, like painful, like growth that, that is really difficult for us to do, but it's an intentional practice for each of us because we understand the value of it. It says train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. And it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Then on top of that, then we move into, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Believers in the room, where are you at? Where are we at in the pursuit of faith, love, speech, conduct, and purity. Are we actually setting an example in that? Because what I fear sometimes is we want, we want the, the influence, we want people to know who we are, we want people to, to see us a certain way, but none of us, I think a lot of us struggle with the desire to build character within ourselves. What God has called each and every one of us is to a personal righteousness that leans in to him if we are truly believers. The last one is this, consistency over complacency. Here's the hard part. Every one of us in this room are making a choice right now. We are choosing to either lean into this or we're not. We're finding ourselves maybe in a rut where you kind of go back and forth to the same thing over and over again. Maybe you find yourself when things kind of go sideways, you're kind of the one that kind of just like lays down, right, in the middle of a river. You're just completely like, you know what, whatever, things are going sideways, I'm just going to lay down. That is the mark of somebody who finds themselves being complacent. Not motivated to move forward. Not super encouraged to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to push through this. And what I want to encourage each and every one of us 
is that if you are truly a believer, that you would lean into a consistency in pursuing righteousness and pursuing obedience to God's word. And here's the tricky part. Is that sometimes we come into this room and we have these opportunities to engage with the holy God, to open God's word, to sing praises to him. And what we end up doing is we come in, we leave. And that's it. That's our rhythm. We come in here, we sit down, we'll talk while the music is happening. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll listen. Maybe we won't. We'll be on our phones, whatever. And then we kind of just kind of leave and then we're kind of done with it. This actually happens with, uh, with events too. We got movement weekend coming up in a couple of weeks or a couple of days, not weeks. It's two days from now. But here's the temptation sometimes. The temptation is I need this event to give me uh, this boost, this spiritual boost that I can just feel a certain way and be really excited for what God's going to do and then what ends up happening. It kind of trails off sometimes, right? Has anyone ever heard of the thought of like a camp high? Has anyone ever experienced that before? Where, man, you go to camp, you go to movement, you come back and you're like, man, I'm never sinning again. Start to commit all these things. that are In some ways, unrealistic. Listen, if you would just choose to say, you know what, as a believer, I'm going to lean into the things of God. I'm going to lean into obedience. I'm going to lean into a pursuit of righteousness. And I'm going to do that as consistently as possible. If we're not living with humility, then we'll never pull anybody in alongside with us. People won't keep us accountable. Things will fizzle off. If we're not actually pursuing character, but instead pursuing influence, then what will happen is once we get that influence that we desire, we'll throw the character away. If we can pursue humility, if we can pursue character, and if we can live lives of consistency, we will see God move in so many ways in our lives. And my prayer is that this weekend, what we would do is we wouldn't just wait for something to happen and wait for us to feel a certain way, but we would walk into this weekend expectant for God to do something incredible. Expecting for God to impact our lives and engage with us in a way that maybe we've never experienced. So that outside of that weekend, when we leave that weekend, we will live a life of consistency. To pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, and pursue obedience. And I think what's going to be helpful for that is if we spend some time in prayer, in preparation for this weekend. So here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just bow your heads with me. And, and you might not be going this weekend. You might not even know what we're talking about, and that's okay. Here's what I want to do. I just want to take some time. For those of you that are going, and I just want you to just beg God right now to stir in your heart this desire to encounter him this weekend. May you kind of have an expectancy for God to move. Don't live your life in such a way that you're just going to walk in blind and hope that something happens. Instead, live your life in a way that is expectant for God to move. Because if we humble ourselves, if we pursue character, if we live a life of consistency, we understand that God will do incredible things in our lives. Now that doesn't mean we don't fall off the wagon sometimes. And things go sideways. But man, because of the support, because of who God is, he will pick us up when we fall down. So I just want you to take 10 seconds. And I want you to just pray. 
God, we don't know what's happening this weekend. We know there's an event. We know there's plenty of things planned. But we have no idea what you're going to do in our lives. But God, I pray that we as a student ministry will be expectant for you to do something big. That we individually would expect you to do something big. God, use this weekend in my life that I might grow closer to you. God, humble me this weekend. Convict me this weekend. Help me to understand who you've called me to be. I pray, Lord, that this weekend would be an opportunity for our students to come in contact with you. God, be with us. May we, in expectant faith, see you move in mighty ways. We are so thankful, God. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. I want you to stand up with me. Listen, I want you to look around you. There there are people that are coming this weekend that are in this room. And wouldn't it be cool if we were able to pray for our own peers that are next to us, that we would be able to pray for them that God would also move in their lives. Now, you might, you might during this next song kind of circle up and pray yourself. That's totally fine. If you need prayer and you want to come and, and see me, I'll be back there. I'd love to pray over you or maybe find a leader. But on your way out tonight, you're going to receive a wristband, and you're going to get somebody's name on there. And I want you to commit over the next couple of days to spend time in prayer for that person that God would do something incredible in their lives. So we'll have them all at the exit, but would you just spend this next time in prayer asking God to do something incredible this weekend? Let's sing to him.